Hybristophilia. 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 Hi, this is Ashley, the host of Taboo and Murder. I strive to be non-judgmental for the most part, and openly hostile when it's appropriate, like reflecting on a prison sentence, for example. Well, today, bring on the judgment, because we're talking about violent prisoners and the women that fall in love with them, marry them, and fuck them. So, let's just get into the taboo, shall we? Oh, and this topic is straight schadenfreude. Hi, bro, I knew I was going to do this, that's why I put this at the top. Hybrodystophilia was defined by the sexologist Professor John Money as a sexual paraphilia in which an individual derives sexual arousal and pleasure from having a sexual partner who is known to have committed an outrage or crime such as rape, murder, or armed robbery. This type of paraphilic behavior is sometimes colloquially known as Bonnie and Clyde syndrome. In some cases, the person who is the focus of the sexual desire is is someone who has been imprisoned. In some cases, the hybristophile may urge and coerce their partner to commit a crime. In other cases, the hybristophile may contact someone who is already in prison that they do not know except by reputation and or what they have read or seen in the media. For instance, it is well known that serial killers, particularly those who have received lots of media publicity, received lots of fan mail from female admirers, some of who are likely to be genuine hybristophiles. For instance, high-profile murderers and serial killers that are known to have received sexual fan mail include, but are not limited to, of course, Charles Manson, Jeffrey Dahmer, Richard Ramirez, and Ted Bundy. Compared to other paraphilic behaviors, hybrofista oh gosh, I always want to say fistula, hybristophilia is quite unusual in that it is more common in women than in men. In a 2006 book chapter review by Corey Vitello, he notes that unlike most paraphilic behaviors, hybristophilia is more common among females and that it varies in both disposition and degree. According to the Love Art History, LAH website, there are two types of hybristophiles, so a passive hybristophile and an aggressive. So in the passive, um, it comprises those individuals who have no desire to participate in criminal activity themselves, but are sexually attracted to criminals. These would be the so-called prison groupies or serial killer groupies. Although I have yet to see any empirical proof, the LHA uh, or LAH website claims that, quote, these women are usually delusional and will try to find excuses for what the criminal did. They will develop relationships with the criminal and feel they are special, that even though their lover may have killed numerous people, he would never harm her. They usually feel that they can change their lover and have rescue fantasies. Passive hybrophilics tend to put themselves in positions to be seduced, manipulated, and lied to by people they fall for. So on the aggressive end, this comprises those individuals who actively help the typically male criminals to commit crimes. Um, Such people, usually female, um, will, according to the LAH website, quote, 
help out their lovers with their criminal agenda by luring victims, hiding bodies, covering crimes, or even committing crimes. They are attracted to their lovers because of their violent actions and want to receive love, yet are unable to understand that their lovers are uh, psychopaths who are manipulating them. Both passive and aggressive hybrophiliacs tend to end up in abusive and unhealthy relationships. I armchair psychology here. This reminds me of Carla Hamalka and um, Bernardo. I'm wondering if that would be this kind of relationship. Um, it kind of seems like it, but like I said, armchair psychology, speculation, speculation, speculation. So regardless of um, being passive or aggressive, they're likely to be attracted to unhealthy and abusive relationships or, you know, be susceptible to be preyed upon. Some speculations have been offered as to the cause for hybobristophilia. I'm going to get worse saying it every time, I think. Hi, bristophilia. Bristophilia. For instance, um, Catherine Ramsland, who is a professor of forensic psychology at DeSales University, mentions that some of the women in particular who have married or dated male serial killers have offered the following reasons. Quote, some believe that they can change a man as cruel and powerful as a serial killer. Others see the little boy that the killer once was and seek to nurture him. A few hope to share in the media spotlight or get a book or movie deal. Then there's the notion of the perfect boyfriend. She knows where he is at at all times, and she knows he's thinking about her. While she can claim that someone loves her, she does not have to endure the day-to-day issues involved in most relationships. There's no laundry to do, no cooking for him, and no accountability to him. She can keep the fantasy charged up for a long time. Others offered reasons along the lines of, again quoting, Some mental health experts have compared infatuation with killers to extreme forms of fantasism. They view such women as insecure females who cannot find love in normal ways or as love-avoidant females who seek romantic relationships that cannot be consummated. From a perspective focusing on male serial killers attracting female partners, Leon F. Seltzer, psychologist, has offered explanations based on evolutionary psychology. Serial killers, in his view, are cases of alpha males that tend to attract women. This is because such males were good at protecting women and their offspring in our evolutionary history. Women nowadays may consciously realize that it is unwise to date a serial killer, but they are nevertheless attracted to them. As he notes, as a therapist, I've encountered many women who bemoaned their vulnerability toward dominant men who consciously they recognized were all wrong for them. As evidence of women's fantasy preference for dominant men, he refers to a book, A Billion Wicked Thoughts, What the World's Largest Experiment Reveals About Human Desire by Ogie Oggs and Cy Godman. Seltzer discusses the book and the argument that this fantasy is the dominant plot of most erotic romantic books and movies written for women, but the fantasy always holds that the male dominance is conditional doesn't really represent the man's um, reality, innermost reality. Many high-profile criminals, particularly those that have committed atrocious crimes, receive fan mail in prison that is sometimes amorous or sexual, presumably as a result of this phenomenon. In some cases, admirers of these criminals have gone on to marry the object of their affections in prison. 
So high uh, high bristophilia is accepted as um, a potentially lethal um, paraphilia along with um, auto asphyxia and several others that I would botch trying to pronounce. So I've highlighted a handful of the most notorious criminals that have had um, or have or had romantic attention while in prison. So Jeffrey Dahmer, a serial killer, is said to have had amorous women sending him letters, money, and other gifts during his time in prison. Serial Richard, um, serial killer Richard Ramirez, um, known as the Night Stalker, um, he married a female groupie in prison who had written him over 75 letters. During his trial, dozens of women flocked to the courtroom to catch a glimpse of him. He is so fucking ugly i cannot understand it like from just like a physical attraction standpoint like yeah jeffrey dahmer he he has like symmetrical looks or you know he has that traditional like symmetrical face and yeah like genuinely like conventionally attractive ted bundy somebody could say that he is conventionally attractive richard ramirez is disgusting looking he looks as if he smells terrible and his teeth oh his teeth he, he the vampire he looks like a vampire anyhow so the phenomenon of charles manson groupies is also an example i have a few of these examples in my notes so i'll circle back to manson sorry people but i think manson is so overrated i'm so sick of hearing about him he was like a cult leader he was annoying Terrorists such as Anders um, Brevik and Sarnayev have also been objects of hyperbistrophilia. Um, so I'm going to go on and go through a few of the, this is from the Rolling Stone, essentially. I've pulled their like top 10. Um, so from Rolling Stone, and I'll link to this on Twitter. Manson family member um, Atkins, a.k.a. Sadie Mae Glutz, or Sexy Sadie, was serving a life sentence for her role in the Tate-LaBianca murders and the killing of Gary Hinman when she married um, eccentric, self-described multimillionaire Donald Lee Lejeur, um, <laughs> or Lejeur with a, a dollar sign in the last name, fucking classy, uh, as he perverted spelled in a 1981 ceremony at the California Institution for Women in Frontera, California. Atkins had their marriage annulled soon after when she reportedly learned that he wasn't as rich as he had claimed and that he had previously married. Oh my God, he had previously been married some 35 times. I scanned my notes before I put this together and then I forget about them 35 times. That's insane. In 1987, she tied the knot again to Harvard Law student James Whitehouse, who was 15 years her junior. They remained together until her death in 2009. Manson family member Charles Denton Tex Watson beat both Atkins and Manson to the altar, marrying Kristen Jones Spegg in 1979 while serving a life sentence for seven counts of first-degree murder pertaining to the Tate LaBianca slayings. Watson, who converted to Christianity in 1975 and eventually became an ordained minister, fathered four children with Sveng before 1996 when the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation banned conjugal visits for lifers. The couple divorced in 2003. 
An admitted serial killer, rapist, and necrophile, Ted Bundy confessed to 30 homicides, though his victim total may have been much higher. That didn't stop Carol Ann Boone, a twice-divorced mother of two who dated him before his initial arrest, from smuggling cash to Bundy to help fund a 1977 escape from prison, or marrying him in a courtroom in February 1980 during the penalty phase of his trial in Florida. Boone gave birth to a daughter in 1982 and named Bundy as the father. So Richard Ramirez, dubbed the Night Stalker by the press, um, was sentenced to death in 1989 on charges that included 13 murders, 5 attempted murders, and 11 sexual assaults. Seven years later, he married freelance magazine editor Doreen Loy, who had begun a correspondence with him shortly after his arrest. He's kind, he's funny, he's charming, she told CNN in 1997. I just believe in him completely. In my opinion, there was far more evidence to convict O.J. Simpson, and we all know how that turned out. That is some brain on that one. Convicted in 1994, along with his brother Eric, for the shotgun murders of their wealthy parents, Lyle Menendez has been married twice while serving a life sentence in prison, first to former model Anna Erickson, who divorced him after she found out he was writing to another woman. For real, you're going to cheat by letter in prison? Oh my god, men. I guess. What else are you going to do, right? Okay. So he then wed magazine editor Rebecca Sneed, as I previously mentioned, um, who has since become an attorney. There may be trouble in paradise between Lyle and Rebecca, however, due to recent tabloid revelations that Menendez is living a double life in prison as a gay man. The younger of the two Menendez brothers has enjoyed a completely more stable married life while in prison than his older sibling. In 1999, Eric got hitched to pen pal Tammy Sackman in a Folsom prison waiting room. Our wedding cake was a Twinkie, she later recalled. How cute. And the couple remain married to this day. Six years later, Tammy self-published a memoir called They Said We'd Never Make It, My Life with Eric Menendez, which would form the basis of a 2010 A&E documentary called Mrs. Menendez. Arrested in 1979 for his role in the Hillside Strangler sex murders that terrorized Los Angeles in the late 70s, Bianchi convinced one of the female admirers who'd contacted him during his trial to give false testimony on his behalf. She was later arrested and convicted for attempting to strangle a woman to make it seem as if the Hillside Strangler was still at large. In 1989, Bianchi married pen pal Shirley Joyce Book, who reportedly tried to woo Ted Bundy before moving on to Bianchi. Kenneth Bianchi's cousin and partner in the Hillside Strangler killings, um, Bono caught the eye of Christine Kizku while she was visiting her husband and the father of her three children, who spent five months in a cell next to Bono at the Los, uh, L.A. County Jail while serving an 18-month stand for assault with a deadly weapon. Um, so they tied the knot at Folsom Prison in 1986, though prison officials um, emphasized at the time the horrific nature of the crimes, which included torture and sexual assault, which disqualified him from enjoying any conjugal visits with his new bride. Kenneth Bianchi, what a fuck. 
Bolin the Butcher, uh, who is currently on death row for the brutal mid-80s rape and murders of three Florida women, scored a major coup of sorts in 1996 when he married in a telephone ceremony. His, it says, erstwhile public defender. Oh, that must be an autocorrect. Well, he married his public defender. Rosalie Martinez, a mother of four and a wife of a prominent attorney when she first met Bolin, lost both her first husband and her position at the public defender's office after jail officials suggested she'd been caught in positions of a more compromising nature in a killer's cell. Varg Vikernes, the influential black metal musician behind one-man band Barzum, married and impregnated his wife Marie Cachet while serving 15 years of a 21-year sentence in a Norwegian prison for the killing of mayhem guitarist oh my gosh i can't pronounce it his guitarist and the arson of several architecturally significant churches now living in france with their four children vickerness and cachet were arrested in 2013 under suspicion of plotting a terrorist attack together and the musician was ultimately found guilty in french court for inciting racial hatred against jews and muslims All right, so I moved this episode up because today, December 4th, this sweet little nugget from the awful and amazing simultaneously Daily Mail came out. So I quote from the Daily Mail today. A married prison officer who indecently assaulted or had sex with inmates and former prisoners now faces jail. Ian Cox preyed on the vulnerable inmates at New Hall Prison, where his wife Christy also worked. The 51-year-old had a two-year affair with a child killer, having sex with her over a washing machine in the laundry room, in her cell, and on the comfy chairs in the Rivendell Wing office. The, uh, this says the warder also had sex with another prisoner in the woman only prison in West Yorkshire and groped and molested two further inmates in their cells. He also pursued two ex prisoners on the outside and even invited one into his matrimonial bed at his home in Barnsley, South Yorkshire. A jury at Leeds Crown Court today, Tuesday, 4 December, found Cox guilty of two counts of misconduct in a public office between June 2015 and May 2017 and guilty of one charge of sexual assault. Judge Simon Phillips QC is set to sentence Cox on December 13th after he receives personal statements from two of Cox's prey. Remanding him in custody, Judge Phillips told him a sentence of immediate imprisonment is inevitable. Cox slumped down in the dock and held his head in his hands after the jury returned its verdict. Judge Phillips thanked the jury for their service and added, The expectations of the prison service have not been carried out in any fit or proper way by one individual. Cox's barrister, Miss Rebecca Stevens, asked that Cox be placed in jail outside of Yorkshire as he had previously worked in several of them, including a stint at HMP Leeds. She said the warder had concerns regarding the jail he would be sent to. Cox's name had been the butt of jokes with prisoners, um, and the trial heard that he had enjoyed sex with women 
who had been jailed for the manslaughter of her young daughter. The pair had Little Mix's hit Secret Love Song as their tune, and she would get glammed up doing her hair and uh, makeup to meet him in the cells. The woman, who was released from jail nine months ago and cannot be named for legal reasons, told the jury from the witness box that she was a low-maintenance prisoner um, at New Hall and was given cleaning duties on Rivendell Wing, a unit where inmates were afforded more freedom. She was aware Cox was married to another prison guard at New Hall and that he'd had a vasectomy. She confessed to developing feelings for Cox after they first had sex and said she had looked forward to seeing him at work. The jury heard that another female prison officer at the relaxed Rivendell unit used to get inmates to do her nails. It was not out of the ordinary on that wing for officers to be close to prisoners, she said. She later learned that Cox was having an affair with a former inmate. I was upset and hurt by it. I couldn't believe he was seeing me in prison and seeing her once she'd been released out of the prison. Because we have had sexual activity, things felt real. I didn't want him to leave. The court... Oh, I didn't want to leave him. You didn't want to leave him here in prison, girl. The court heard they had sex a number of times in her cell, including on New Year's Day 2016. Rumors soon began to circulate about the relationship. Despite Cox carrying on with other inmates, the child killer tried to protect him by not giving police a full statement. I didn't want him to get in trouble and get sacked, she said. At the time, I still thought he was everything. I wanted to protect him and didn't want him to get into trouble. I did not know the extent. Okay, technical difficulties. And by that, I mean crying three-year-old. Okay. So back to her statement. I didn't want him to get in trouble and get sacked, she said. At the time, I still thought he was everything. I wanted to protect him and didn't want to get him into trouble. I did not know the extent of how many other girls were involved in this. She knew he was married to another warder, but Cox had told her they no longer had sex. She considered the little mixed track secret love song her and Cox's tune. I used to sing it to him, she said. The jury also heard from a former prisoner, a 35-year-old brunette who Cox picked up in a bar and had an affair with. Cox worked day shifts, and his wife, Christy, worked nights, Leeds Crown Court heard. Speaking from the witness box, the woman said she was released on license from Newhall in June 2016 and went to live in Royston near Barnsley. Cox lives in Cudsworth, the neighboring village. She said that in July 2016, she was enjoying a night out in Barnsley Town Center when Cox approached her. He came running up behind me, put his arms around my waist, and picked me up, she told the jury. They spent the night together drinking in bars, talking and kissing, and he took her mobile telephone number when they parted, meeting the following week um, in the Asda car park. After going for a drive in his car, they parked up in a field and talked as they as he held her hand. We just talked about what we had got ourselves into. He described me as a, as a one-off, she told the jury. She said Cox had told her his marriage to Christy was on the rocks. They were barely together and she wouldn't have sex with him. We talked about a future and that he was going to tell Christy about me, she said. 
The witness said she went to Cox's home about four times and said wedding photos were on display on the wall. Cox told her that he'd had a vasectomy and they had sexual intercourse in the spare room. She said on another occasion they spent the night together on the matrimonial waterbed. They drank alcohol and watched TV. We just talked and talked. Christy was due back early in the morning. I slept in the bed in my clothes. He touched my breasts, she said. Another former prisoner told the jury how Cox made unwanted advances toward her in the Rivendell unit at Newhall. I feel like this is orange is the new black. She first encountered Cox when he escorted her from the gym, and he commented on her makeup and asked if she was wearing it for him. I felt it was a bit familiar. I felt slightly uncomfortable with him talking like he had, she told the jury. On another occasion, she was suffering with her appendix and needed Cox's support while she walked. He said it was like we were walking down the aisle together, she said. Cox would often comment, you look beautiful today, the court heard. He also told her, your tits look good in that. You have got a nice arse and nice tits. She said that around Christmas time, she and her cellmate were playing the parlor game charades. Cox had said, I've got one for you, and wrote down the porn movie, Debbie Does Dallas. I didn't act it out, she said. She said that in her cell, Cox pulled her into the shower and tried to kiss her. I remember smelling his breath, she told the jury. On the final occasion, she was, re- she was revising for a gym instructor exam alone in a cell when Cox came in. The last time I knew something was going to happen, I could tell by his breathing, she said. I was sat at the desk. He touched my hair and he rubbed his groin against me on my right hand shoulder. I elbowed him straight away and then I started to cry. In ruling on a bad character application by the prosecution, Judge Phillips said there was a power imbalance between Cox and the vulnerable inmates and former prisoners. No shit. The judge said Cox had a disposition towards reprehensible behavior and his misconduct was sexually motivated. The court heard Cox had sex with Melanie Collins, a former inmate, in 2008 after her release from Newhall. Judge Phillips said he deliberately sought her out and visited her for sex. Cox was not married to fellow jailer Christie when he had sex with Melanie Collins. Leeds Crown Court also heard from probation officer Fran Wright, who said Cox had sex with Megan Hope inside Newhall. Megan Hope confessed that Lane Cox had sexual intercourse with her, stated Miss Wright. Oh, man. So that's a bunch of crazy. I'm sorry, but I do have a bit of judgment when it comes to knowingly engaging in a romantic relationship with someone that has committed such terrible crimes. Like, I get that attraction just happens, but acting on that attraction is where I draw the line. I have a hard time separating the politics of family members and not uh, allowing immigration to end relationships. I literally can't understand getting romantically involved with a serial killer a cult leader, or a child molester. If my kids ever did anything heinous, I'd love them, of course, unconditionally. But my spouse? I'd so quickly become Italian. You did to me. Sorry, hubs, but I guess I'm not very ride or die. Um, Additionally, that last story about the prison, I think that um, that is not even really a case uh, that really relates to this subject matter after reading it in its entirety. It was just so crazy. It 
it forced me to move this episode up on my agenda. So I understand the psychology, um, and I can see why it's usually women pursuing men. Um, I again am reminded of the parasite Toxoplasma gondi or gondi that makes mice unafraid of cats to the point they're actually attracted. The theory being that the center of the brain that processes fear is corrupted by the parasite and then the brain processes processes the fear as attraction or something like that. Um, because we know exactly, you know, jack shit about the brain, maybe there's some link in humans too to explain it. Or maybe it is just as simple as wanting to know that your boyfriend or husband is in jail and not going to be able to stray. I don't know, but I love to speculate. So that's why I have this podcast. Again, I went a little late on the psych this episode for two reasons. Um, There will be overlap with other subjects. And also the article that I read from the Daily Mail today was the push I needed to get this episode out. It was already like 80% done. So um, if you are looking for that sweet, sweet armchair psychology, tune into future episodes. It'll be there, but I'll spare you for this one. This is the second part in the Sexual Taboo series. Please send your suggestions for future episodes on Twitter at SMTaboo. This podcast is totally a work in progress and a fly-by-the-seat-of-my-pants kind of operation, so I'm totally open to suggestions. As you've probably noticed, there's really no format. It's really just what I want to do, which is great. Anyway, thank you for listening. Um, Oh, I would greatly appreciate if you would subscribe, rate, review, and maybe even share with a friend. Again, thank you for listening.